Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, Turned Time When by Mumford Watts Ethel. And that's my big joke. <laughs> okay, Jesse, for people who don't already know what you were going to say back then, maybe you should start and now tell ordinary people who live in ordinary time what we're doing. All right, we're doing a story called When Time Turned by Ethel Watts Mumford, a story about a person living their life backwards. I've got to say, Jesse, knowing how firm a, uh, of opinion you are, this may be the first time I've ever encountered you being backward. <laughs> I'll tell you how what's... Did you, how did you find this story? Uh, I really... Okay, well, um, I'm a big fan of this magazine called The Black Cat, which I have had the privilege of uh, going through many issues of. And um, whenever I see a title that is indicating to me that it might be uh, in my favorite genres, you know, mystery and crime and science fiction and fantasy and that sort of thing, I, I take a closer look and do my research and this was one of those ones. Um, it has been republished a f uh, couple, three, four times over the years, um, usually in anthologies of, you know, ancient science fiction. Um, and that indicated to me that this was one of those. So I said, we should definitely do a show on this. I am glad you, you did it. Uh, you've already raised for me in your your recounting of your discovery, a question that I think I, uh, I don't want to raise quite yet. So I've mentioned it so I can get to it going backwards. Let me just give a quick summary of the story in a few sentences. Uh, our narrator is someone uh, named Robertson, uh, who goes uh, in search of an evening's pleasant conversation, uh, dropping in at the home of his friend, Dr. Lamison, who has odd interests. But when he gets there, there is a fellow named uh, Gage, Mr. Gage. Uh, we can't tell whether Mr. Gage is uh, just an old acquaintance of Lamison's or is uh, perhaps a patient in some sense. Uh, he, retell, he recounts a story of him, his own life to, uh, to, uh, to Gage, uh, sorry, to, to uh, Robertson. And it's a very strange story because it transpires that he is living his life backwards. The, the story that he tells is that he lived uh, an interesting and eventful life and includes conflict with his family, travels around the world, but most importantly, the meeting of a woman, a woman who becomes his much beloved wife. And it turns out that she is in her death throes while he is in another city. He gets news of this and he races to her deathbed. He gets there uh, as she's expiring. And as she expires, some strange feeling uh, it sort of explodes within his skull as if there's new space being taken up in there. He 
de- describes it as being like, uh, I think, the cupola of uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And there's an audible sound inside his head. And as he stands there by her bedside, he notices things going backwards. Um, the nurse who had walked out of the room to give him a moment of privacy backs into the room and and so on. Eventually, he notices that the clock is going backwards. And what transpires is that his entire life is being lived backwards. This leads to a number of poignant observations. For instance, at the moment that that Gage is in Lamison's room and telling the story to uh, Robertson, he is preparing to go off to the uh, to the South Seas, uh, never perhaps to return. He's uh, already contemplating that he will get to that moment when he meets his to be future wife for the first time. And then, of course, as he continues living backwards, will part from her into the past knowing he will never see her again. There's an enormous poignance here because after all, whether we think of losing our loved ones in the past or in the future, losing them is, is something that most of us fear. So it's a, it's a touching love story. And it ends with him. The penultimate observation is that he's been very lucky because he's been able to live his life twice over. Um, and then our outermost narrator um, just says he, meaning uh, Gage, uh, rose gravely, excused himself and left us. And we sat silent and deeply thoughtful, staring into the red embers of the fire, which is a lovely image indicative, I think, of Mumford's skill. Because after all, the red embers of the fire could be the dying fire as Gage is leaving toward the end of his life. But red embers are what they look like. Embers are red before, as you breathe life into them, you blow on them, they leap into flame. So we don't know if that's an ending or a beginning. It, it's it's lovely. Mm-hmm. I, I, tried, I tried reading the story backwards. Um, it's, <laughs> it, it, it makes slightly more sense read forwards. But th- this kind of story is mind-bending. It's very hard to comprehend. Uh, it's very hard to figure out what should happen next. Um, and I I know um, we all had this experience when I was young. Every once in a while there would be a teacher who, after you watch the film, literally film, uh, you know, in class, the teacher would reverse the film to put it back in order for the next person. Um, on the projector and and the and the cool teachers or the fun teachers would let us watch the film in reverse sped up right as it's going through so you could see everything you just saw but in reverse people backing into rooms you know car doors uh closing as somebody gets into it and drives drives away down the road and and uh, you know experiments and sandwiches getting put back together and you know, as they as they get put onto a plate and and then un all 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 the ex, all the normal everyday experiences, but in reverse. And we've of course seen them all before when we saw it in in regular order, but it, it turns into a comedy, right? 
And this here is is not so much a comedy as it is a tragedy. But on the other hand, it's also kind of uh, it's not as tragic as except for the ending. And then of course the ending, uh, I get the sense that maybe this man's just mentally ill. But I don't think he is. Also. <laughs> Okay, that, that's that's a place where you and I have an initial disagreement, um, because I think at the end he is. Uh, it, it's I think it is in fact clear that he is mentally ill, and I, I'll try to erase some evidence for it. But I, I understand your reading, even saying what I've said. Uh, you found this in the Black Cat, mm-hmm. which is known among other things for horror and science fiction. Not that science fiction was a a term for genres uh, back when this was published. Uh, I assumed, because it's from Black Cat, and I assumed, because I know the kinds of stories that you often like, that as I began reading this, that this was going to be a story of somebody living backwards. It's, uh, what, what is that Poe story of the... The, the fellow who uh, is reliving uh, something from a century earlier, uh, mm. a battle in India where he dies. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, I'll I'll think of it as we speak. But but this story of someone living backwards, it's it's not an unusual motif in the world of fantastic literature. Merlin lives backwards through time, for example, um, and that's well known in the the tales of King Arthur, which are throughout the world and have been told in many versions. Uh, Benjamin Button is another more recent example. So I started reading this, knowing where you found it, knowing that it's you who recommended it, recognizing a standard trope of fantastic literature and thinking that this fellow was living backwards. But in fact, inside the story itself, we are told things that undercut the notion that he's really living backwards. Although he gives us convincing narrations of the places he has been, they're all places he could have been earlier in his life if he is in fact an old man, as he appears to be in this, uh, in this moment of the evening discussion. He says himself, that is uh, Gage, he says himself that He's been troubled by the fact that although everything goes backwards, he doesn't speak backwards. Right. Uh, as you you humorously uh, foretold by the way you introduced our discussion today, Jesse. Um, so he himself realizes, Gage himself realizes that there is no consistency in the rules of his living his life backwards. Also, it should be clear to an alert reader that if, in fact, Gage is on his second trip through his life, but now going backwards, this should be his second trip to Dr. Lamison's rooms in which he is describing his life to Robertson. But Robertson, whom we have no reason to think of, uh, uh, sees himself that way, who we, th- we don't think is, uh, is crazy uh, or, or unstuck in time like Billy Pilgrim in Slaughterhouse-Five. Uh, uh, He's never met 
this fellow before. In fact, Lamison confirms the idea that Robertson has never met uh, Gage before because um, he says to Gage, I'd like you to meet my friend Robertson. So this is the second time through Gage's life, and yet here is a new thing happening in it. So that itself, the very meeting, is a clue that this isn't isn't really happening. That, for me, raises the question that you raised by giving this a genre assignment. If we read this story as if Gage actually is living his own life backwards, it's a fantastic story, and it raises some interesting thematic points, which we can discuss. But what really, I think, gets to me is at the end when he goes away and Lamison says, oh, good, you're getting better to to Gage. But Gage goes away content because he is continuing to think about being with his his dead wife again. He's got a life in which his appreciation of her does not have to be all in the past because he's made his past his future. Um, The story raises for me a powerful question that is larger than the genre question. And that is, is insanity sometimes genuinely better than sanity? (laughs) So if this starts out as a, as a, a fantastic story, it does raise, as I say, some interesting questions. Uh, for example, it asks us to consider how much of our lives are at any given now are genuinely lived in the future or the past. There's uh, when I, uh, I have a friend uh, whom I will not name, uh, but a good friend, and I, I, I think very warmly of him who loves cooking. And he tells me that when he gets up in the morning, often before he gets out of bed, he starts thinking about what he's going to have for dinner. (laughs) Now, (laughs) uh, some people would say uh, that this person is obsessed. There's something wrong. I mean, why should you be thinking about feeding your face when you've got a whole day's worth of activities to go through? But other people would say, and I think this is true in my friend's case, he knows that no matter what else is going to happen during the day, he can set himself a goal which is both achievable and pleasurable and go through the entire day knowing that he has this as its culmination. That's not a bad thing. It is not at all, in my estimation, an insane thing. But it is a demonstration that much of the quality of every individual now in the course of the day for this friend of mine, the quality of that now is improved because it exists as another step toward a particular future. I think in the same way, some people find the past to to color the now. Some people never get over a particular regret, and every now is trammeled, darkened. Other people think how lucky they are. Uh, my grandparents, for instance, thought how wonderful it was that they were able to come to the United States and not continue to live under persecution and, and fear of death um, in the old country. Um, and every day in the United States was, for them, brightened by their 
keeping with them their past. This story, which talks about time turning and running backwards um, so that a man gets to live his life twice, I think really gets us to ask whether it's a fantasy or not. But but even before we may come to thinking that it's not a fantasy, it's actually a story of insanity. Um, it asks us to contemplate how much we live in the future and the past. And is that a good thing or not? And a crucial way of distinguishing that might be for some people. Well, you know, my friend, the gourmet, um, no, no, that's bad because he's obsessed. He's neurotic. Someone might say, I don't. And someone might say of Gage, he's obsessed. He can't tolerate the idea that his wife has died. This is an insane fixation. But is that really so bad? Well, I would say he one of the things that we see in the beginning of the of the story is that um, he's a super wise man in telling his stories of what the Philippines are like and and uh, how people live in the world. The two words that go over and over um, in describing him is well-balanced and moderate, right? That he is the opposite of wild and crazy. He isn't, he isn't intemperate at all. And if this is him telling the line that strikes you as you're reading this story, right? Um, in fact, I am just at the point of going there now. Where? To the place he's been describing perfectly, right? The islands of the Philippines and what the Malays are like and how the Chinese empire worked and right, what the culture like is over. He's never been there before, according to him, but he has a memory of having been there before. So him being all this, you know, wise and 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 um, temperate about uh, you know global issues is the opposite of him being a an insane man. And and yet we also have him being described as having iron gray hair, um, or lines of wrinkles all over his face, um, being a man in his fifties, right? But also um, he's sprightly and his his um, uh, voice is full of vigor. Um, so everything that we're presented with is a combination of opposites. And his idea of meeting his wife for the first time as being the last time is a very poignant scene. When he sees her dead and that dome of his mind or dome of his skull uh, is expanded and a uh, banjo string breaks and he suddenly sees the clock start ticking backwards, his wife's hand goes from cold to warm again and she greets him as he has just walked into the room and then he finds himself reversing going down and not being able to change anything it's 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 very striking and and so when confronted by what i assume is a psychologist or an alienist or something of dr lamison saying you know uh have you met this man before no no i haven't um uh, you might, you may wonder, gentlemen, why I'm not speaking these words backwards, <laughs> right. right? Um, he says, I can't explain it. Um, 
And I think that that's the feeling we're supposed to be left with at the end, is that, wow, this is a very singular incident, as they would say back then, right? Um, (laughs) um, And whether, as you point out, uh, whether the embers are the dying of a fire or the beginning of a fire, it's it's unclear whether he's going to, you know, revert to his... I mean, once you start breaking the rules of time, you can pretty much throw causality and, and uh, predictability out the window. And I think that that's kind of what's going on here. The, the poignant lines near the end are, are the, I don't want to be a baby. He repeats it twice. I don't want to be a baby. As he goes to school to unlearn all the things that he learned, right? Becoming helpless. Um, of course, that's the the thing that people take away from the curious case of Benjamin Button or whatever it's called, right? Is that he starts off as an old baby <laughs> and becomes a young, handsome man, um, living living his life backwards. I don't I don't know how to reconcile the uh, the question of whether this is a strange science fiction incident. Uh, it's hard to explain, or if he's just mad. I think we're not supposed to know the answer. And that's part of the skill that I think Mumford's done, is she's balanced it incredibly well. I do see the balance. As, as I've said, I, I believe ultimately we're supposed to naturalize it and, and, and realize that he is, uh, and, and to decide, I shouldn't say realize, I'm pr- presuming my own answer. I think we're supposed to decide that there are so many inconsistencies that that even in a fantastic world, this doesn't follow its own rules. That is, um, there are talking animals in fairy tales. Um, we're not supposed to have a talking animal suddenly not be able to talk. Um, although the rules do say that, you know, not all animals are talking animals right. in fairy tales. Um, so, you know, maybe this has rules that we can work with. I, I think there are enough overt hints. Uh, you know, he, he still is weasoned, that his face still looks old, even though he's living backwards, that um, Robertson looks at the clock and realizes that the hands are not running backwards in Gage's presence. Um, th- we have a lot of reason to ultimately come to think that what Gage is saying is just not not correct. Um, the word gauge is an interesting word. Mm-hmm. Um, when you throw down the gauntlet, um, that that glove that you throw at the feet of the other guy to challenge him, that's a gauge. Mm-hmm. And uh, indeed, Gage's story, I think, is a challenge to us. Th- there are a number of writerly things in this uh, this story that I think are admirable and like the story itself certainly uh, if one compares your view of it and my slightly different view it uh, raise powerful questions for instance that hinge notion that hinge part of the book of the story that you referenced i'd like to read it Mm -hmm. at last it was all over and her dear eyes closed forever this is gage speaking as i thought then a great emptiness settled upon my brain and heart. Now, that's really quite good. You see, for anybody, um, the loss of a loved one would be a great emptiness settling upon the heart. But here it's the brain and the heart 
right, thoughts. Then came a slow tightening and straining sensation somewhere inside the dome of my skull that seemed as fast as St. Peter's, a snap sharp as a broken banjo string and perfectly audible was its climax. And that in a way is the climax of the life of Gage. Because at that moment, as you said, when you quoted that banjo string line uh, phrase before, it starts to go backwards. Now, I would like to point out, as I say, the writerly skill. One often speaks of the dome of one's skull. It's, it's a sort of a cliche. And one speaks of the dome of a basilica, also um, a common phrase, although it's not a cliche. It's directly what the thing is with a basilica. But to say the dome of my skull seemed as fast as St. Peter's is to mean that there's some spiritual high point inside this man's own head. Now, there are a couple of things about that that line that have attracted my attention, at least. One is the use of St. Peter's. I mean, any basilica might do this. Why St. Peter's? Well, I think of two things. First of all, St. Peter's is the basilica at Rome. It is the cathedral church of the prince among princes of the church. It is, in a sense, the central church of at least traditional Christendom. And St. Peter is the apostle uh, who is God's vicar on earth. The second thing is that St. Peter's dome in particular is very famous for its whispering gallery. That is, you can stand on one side of this vast dome and whisper to somebody next to you and someone all the way across the empty air can hear you clearly as if you were standing right next to him. And I think that this sound, this perfect audibility, mm. is somehow foreshadowing that our, narr- our inner narrator, Gage, um, is hearing again and again his wife as he's going backwards through their lives together. There's something else strange here uh, in that sentence. It says that inside the do- somewhere inside the dome of my skull that seemed as fast as St. Peter's. Um, I may be mistaken. I've read the story now, I guess, three or four times. I do not find any typographical errors in this story. But the word fast could be a typographical error for the word vast. Mm-hmm. Right Inside the dome of my skull that seemed as vast as St. Peter's. But just... You know, like so many other things about the story, let's look at it another way. What if we thought it's not a typographical error? The word really was fast. Well, I can think of at least two meanings of the word fast that fit perfectly. Mm -hmm. One Mm -hmm. is that it happened just like that, right? Just the way I can hear you across the whispering dome like that. There's no time lag. The second, of course, is fast as in stuck, right? Right. It's in the word fastener. And there it is. It is the hinge moment around which his entire life turned when time turned. There are a lot of pieces of the story that I think ask us about that. And there is at least one other question. I want to raise this one for you, Jesse, since you are 
uh, almost inevitably more knowledgeable than I about um, the things around the stories and the writers. Ethel uh, Watts Mumford was a multi-talented person, mm-hmm. uh, quite a, uh, an aggressive, interested uh, individual. In 1899, she took her son and left her husband. That was a time when a woman couldn't do such things easily. She led out across the country and she, in fact, raised her son alone um, and supported him by her own creative work as a writer, as a painter and so on, uh, as well as more menial work. She did this because her husband, Mumford, um, absolutely disparaged the idea that she had any creativity and would do things on her own. So in 1899, she said, I've had it. And she left. In 1901, living in San Francisco, she was finally able to get a divorce and was free of Mumford. In 1900, between her leaving Mumford and her getting a divorce from Mumford, this story is published. This story has three male characters. Mm -hmm. Gage, who lives backwards because of his coming to realize finally the value of his wife. Lamison, who's trying to help him see reality and not do this, and Robertson, who's just listening to it and is our connection to the story. Should we read this story differently because we can see it as Ethel Watts Mumford trying to suggest to the world that, by golly, if men realized what they are missing when they lose their wives, they would be a whole lot more. Right? Um, does this story require us to know biography? Does it become better or distracting because of the biography? What's going on here as this story in the history of the development of stories? Hmm. Um, That's a question for you. It's a good question. Um, I thought about that. I I did read her Wikipedia entry, and it is a pretty interesting, dramatic story. Um, What I I particularly took note of is how skillful the story is. Um, And I didn't notice, you know... I noticed that there wasn't a lot of characters in it. The the only female that's really mentioned, well, other than the nurse, I guess, is is the wife, and she's all in memory, right? So there's only three people in a room talking. It's all three men, you know, uh, all of them sort of uh, men of power, um, able to do what they want, when they want, uh, how they want, except for the one who claims, uh, you know, he's living his life backwards. So he has no control in those scenes where where we've got this poignant husband and wife together um, when he describes how you know how wonderful it was to spend the first anniversary and then the horror of realizing he only had a, a year left with her there is a sense of um, you know valuing the relationship of marriage more than obviously she had in her own life but I, I don't think it, it dramatically affected it. Um, I don't think being a woman dramatically affected this story other than, yeah, um, for her, um, that would have been, it's almost like an idealized version of the life that she had had. But I'm more focused on the story itself, saying, wow, that's really clever. I like the way this works. But then, if you note at the very bottom of the first page, it says how this story was acquired by the black cat. Um, It says, the writer of this story received a cash prize 
of $125 in the Black Cat Story Contest ending March 31st, 1900. So she was writing it in 1899, presumably, uh, and um, at a contest announced in 1899 when I believe the Black Cat had just started. And she won the prize, equivalent to $125 then, now is equivalent to $3,700, which is not nothing. Um, that's enough money to get you across the country, even back then, away from your husband who refuses to acknowledge uh, that the skill you have should be used at all. And she has, obviously, great skill at writing. This is her first published story, as far as I can tell. So that's really lovely, Jesse. What you're suggesting, it seems to me, or I can infer from what you're saying, is that this story, even if we view it ultimately as not in any way fantastic, we view it utterly as a, a psychotic story uh, for Gage. Um, this story is the story of a man who needs escape to a better world. And this story as an object of sale, of exchange, is what provided escape for Watts, Mumford, to a better world. But there's always more to say. <laughs> <laughs>